Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Calvary Live. Uh, We're coming to you live from the studios here in Aurora, Colorado. Aurora, for those of you listening in, uh, in on the East Coast, down south as well, Hope FM, Truth FM, Aurora is a Denver suburb, and we are the home of Grace FM, a ministry outreach of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, and we're taking your questions and calls today, 303-690-3000, 303 303- Six nine zero three thousand, and uh, that's the number to use if you want to get on the air. If you want to text me, uh, there is a dedicated line just for texting for messaging us. It's seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. So whether you text me or give me a call. Uh, the show is really call-based, so don't be uh, shy to call and be on the air. Whatever's on your mind, whatever you want to pray about, talk about, the um, the opportunity for not only for you to have your question answered, but for the audience to be blessed uh, is amazing. So God will use you in a great way. So give me a call, 303-690-3000 already, the phone lines are lighting up, so that's always good, and we want you to uh, give me a call. While we wait, we are uh, always, it's always good to remind you that we are gathering every Wednesday night for Bible study and worship. We still have a midweek Bible study, uh, and it's a great gathering of men and women, boys and girls, as we come out to um, worship the King, and and for a for a large growing church, uh, we are really intentional in wanting to follow along the biblical model in the Book of Acts, um, and I and we wonder sometimes how was it that thousands of people were saved in the Book of Acts there on the day of Pentecost, but how did they go from house to house? How did they? Uh, Gathered. What did they do when they gathered together? How did they respond when they were at the temple? Uh, how is it that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer? And our so our our Wednesday night uh, gathering is is our attempt to factor in all of the pieces of Acts two forty two for a large and growing church. Uh, we continue, We study the Bible, of course. Uh, we then pray together, we worship and song together, and we have communion uh, all on the same service. And uh, even though it is a larger gathering, we also get to break off into smaller groups. We get to meet people uh, and and very intentional 
to take a large church and and reduce it down to a uh, local, loving, caring community. Uh, and there's times for the bigger gatherings, times for the smaller gatherings. Uh, as a friend of mine likes to say when he visits, we're the biggest small church that he's ever been to. And I love that description uh, as he's, try- he's trying to describe the intimacy that comes through the love of this church. And this church is filled with the love of Jesus. And what I mean by that is that we're that the church has a tremendous amount of people who love Jesus and love each other. And it is a blessing to be a part of it. So 7 o'clock is when service starts, but the doors open around 6. We have a brand new refurbished, remodeled uh, third wave coffee house downstairs in our building here. It's called the Res. Uh, in It's called Resurrection Coffee. And we've got Sonder coffee beans that we uh, use for the drinks, a brand new setup. We have uh, nitro cold brew. We, we have fancy um, tasting syrups that are homemade by Erin and her team. And it's just, a, we're very happy with the way it came out. Uh, we've had actually a coffee house as a part of our church dating back about 16 years. Uh, we used to have space across the street at the uh, strip mall, the Seven Hills Shopping Center. I don't know what they call it now, but it's the movie tavern is there. They just built a brand new, uh, it's not Vitamin Cottage, what do they call it? Natural Grocers, just built one in the parking lot there. And we had leased, uh, back when Pastor Louie, who pastors Denver Calvary, was our assistant pastor here, we leased space that was an old gun shop of all things. I forget what it was called. We have pictures it was an old gun shop, uh, and it had 45 in the name. But I was looking through some pictures today, and we have the big sign that Louis designed uh, that we had up there that we called it the One Way Cafe. And it was our attempt to enter into that space of bookstore and coffee house. And for three and a half years, we had it. It was great. It was amazing. But then when we moved into the building here, we moved everything here. Uh, and so we've been here now. 13 years. And by the way, you are invited. Uh, You are invited as a part of the city to celebrate. You're invited as a part of our church to celebrate. You're invited if you've ever been a part of our church. If you're connected with us through Abounding Grace, um, through Grace FM, we are inviting you right now to our 20th year anniversary celebration. And I'm just about to sneeze. So I'm in the middle of a, a sneeze coming and I'm not sure I'll just get rid of it here. Next Wednesday night, next Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, we have time set aside to celebrate 20 years of our church history. And, and it, you know, it's going to be a, a, a massive celebration. That's, that is really the... Calvary Church is not the center of it. Ed Taylor's not the center of it. We are celebrating the faithfulness of God. And just so grateful that we get to be in this city, that we get to serve you. And just to think back, a little bit nostalgic, we're going to love the past, but we're really going to live the future and be excited about what God has done, be excited about what God is doing, and be excited about what God wants to do until he returns. And that's next week, next Wednesday. Um, And we've been sending out blasts, putting up on social media. And I want to, do you get my personal invitation? Uh, If you're connected with our church in any way, 
Even if you just pray for us and you've never set foot in the building, that will be a day to set foot in the building. It's going to be a packed house. I'm certain of it. Uh, you want to come early, and that's next Wednesday. Uh, tonight's normal service, uh, Daniel, we're in the book of Daniel, starting a new chapter about living right in a world that's wrong. Good stuff. 303-690-3000. Rick, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Ed. I have a question for you about the immutability of God. I guess there's been a conversation that I overheard about a Calvinist trying to uh, debate a open theist, okay. open theology. Correct. And I'm kind of confused a little bit about that. If you could help me with the conversation kind of led through the, does God change? Can he lie? Questions about did Jesus have the ability to sin while on earth? Things like that. Well, I mean, that's a pretty broad topic to to answer of all of those questions. I think, first of all, I would just say my, my theological bias uh, is directly uh, against open theism. Uh, I don't believe open theism uh, or something known as neo-theism is, is really a proper um, biblical construct. construct. Um, the, the reality of the reality of God's immutability is very important. His quality of not changing, um, that is throughout the scriptures. And okay. any, of the, any of the passages that appear that give an appearance of changing is simply man's response. It's, it's our best, it's our limited, with our limited ability, our best um, descriptive words to describe what we see God doing or not doing. Um, you know when when you think of some of the simplest some of the simplest arguments that come from a neo theist, um, the the God asking quite you know the the temptation of of God giving um, giving Isaac up as an offering you know that um, that now I know when his response to <clears throat> to Abraham is now I know as if yes. that as if he didn't know prior um, right. but. But you, you know, I, I let's say let's say that you and I are co-teaching a math class of third graders, and we we tell them, you and I say together, we kind of plan to go, okay, kids, let's see if we can figure out the square root of forty nine. Okay. Now, does that mean we don't know the square root of forty nine? Of course not. It does. We already know it by 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 our ability to lead and teach the kids. But we're leading and talking to them to draw out from them. An answer, uh, so, and so. So questions, so questions like, for example, Pastor, the the Noah moment when he tells Noah, "I I've regretted or I've relented that I've made man." What is God saying to us at that time? What God's saying to us is this: His response to sin on the earth, uh, His response to the reality, like God, God, we are created in God's image, and so God is able to emote on the circumstances of his creation. For example, the, the, fact that, <clears throat> the fact that I emote doesn't preclude the fact that I have knowledge. Oh, um, okay. So let, let's say, let me see if I can pull someone out, something out of the air. Again, the, the, the problem for you and me is that we experience everything linearly in time, moment by moment, right. including we experience God moment by moment. 
So when we're receiving a, a, a descriptive word from God, we immediately put it in the context of our linear thinking instead of allowing God in his immutability and in his omniscience. Because the, the essence of neotheism is God doesn't know everything until it happens. Correct. And how, how foolish is that? What kind of God is that? What kind of God do we have? What kind of God would that be that he doesn't even know what's going to happen in my life right? or in his creation until it happens? Okay. In the essence of that, you know, the, on a simple, in a simple form, a open theist would say that there are no omnis, that that is a Greek mythology addition to God. Um, yes. And the, the problem with that is that it's a weak argument because God declares himself to be the self-existent I am in Exodus 3. He says in Malachi 3, I, the Lord, change not. In Isaiah 46, it says very clearly that God knows the beginning from the end. In Psalm 147, he's infinite in understanding. Uh, according to Romans chapter 8, he has foreknowledge. According to 1 Samuel 15, he's not man... He doesn't change his mind. Um, I know I didn't read that from memory because about, I don't know, I want to say at least 10 to 12 years ago, this was a popular topic. It's not so popular anymore, but it was so popular that I actually wrote it in my Bible because, wow. um, you know, you're the first question open theism that I've gotten in years. Wow. There's a guy well, locally here in town that is a big proponent of it. He's on another radio station. Um, that's probably who I'm talking about. You know, he's so a big proponent of it. Saying, but So then what we're saying is that we got to be careful because the Bible can be twisted. Well, I, right? I think it can be twisted. In this case, it's it's a it's an it's an ascension to a doctrine that the Bible like we're trying to explain the, the, the gap. And and so on in some respects I can in some ways I can respect a person that's trying to explain the gap between God's sovereign knowledge and our limited, finite, you know, from the infinite God to a finite man, there's a gap. Right. Right. And it, it's in that gap that we make a lot of mistakes. Okay. And the Bible is filled with language that would be considered anthropomorphism, and that is our limited uh, human language to describe God, because that's okay. the only way he communicates. Well, he communicates on a spiritual level in a worship sense, you know, with the spiritual gifts and the gift of tongues and interpretation and such. But on a regular, normal relationship, God has uh, limited us. Um, we see that even back in the Tower of Babel, it limited us by language. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm glad I was able to talk to you because uh, so much goes on, and you listen to so much, and my, me and my stupid radio listening, I listen to so much radio that it's easy for someone to explain something over the radio without a rebuttal, right? Correct. So I'm listening to it, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe maybe there's a point there. Let me call Pastor Ed and see if there's a another side to this. So I'm glad I was able to talk to you. Well, I and I, I think that. That, that the passages that are given, you know, like in Genesis chapter 22, God declares, now I know. Yeah. That that that's a statement uh, in an English translation that that God is recorded, inspired by His Holy Spirit, that to be written down. I mean, if if man wrote the Bible, he wouldn't have put so many complex things in there. Like, but God wrote the Bible, and He allows the complexity. He allows us to be confronted with complexity. 
because what it does is it draws out faith. We often want to answer complexity with absolute knowledge, like we've mastered something. We have an unwillingness to admit. Now, that's an interesting passage, God. There's an interesting attribute about you that we that I don't fully understand, but the fact that I say, now I know, does not not does not bring the necessity that I didn't know before. I can use that yeah. phrase in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, like I used the example with the teacher, but um, I think his name is um, Bob Inyart is yes. the the brother on the other station that was yes. a big proponent of this. I haven't heard his show in a long time, but yeah. um, I would strongly disagree with him uh, okay. on this. And and here's the other thing in the in the dialogue. It's something that we get trapped in is that. We even frame uh, you, you. You were. It was kind of led to that in the opening of your question that when a Bible question comes up, it gets framed in some kind of human theological construct in order right. to answer it. Right. And I'm not willing to stop at some human theolog. Like for example, I'm not willing to stop at the Calvinist view of immutability. I want to go beyond or behind the Calvinist. And let's go back and with maybe we don't have all the maybe we don't have the systematic theology written out yet, but but let's just go back and say, well, what does the Bible say? And and maybe I don't have every single answer, but I don't want to give an answer of a Calvinist. I don't want to give an answer of a Arminian. I just want to, hey, when I go through and see God declaring himself ten times that he says he knows all things, I'm pretty sure um that he means what he says. <laughs> and what what we do, and another another tool that instead of stopping at the doctrine of men, as good or as weak as it might be, another thing that we do is is we we always submit the difficult passages to the less difficult. So when something's clear, we hold on to the clear passage, and we let the unclear or the interesting passage sit in t- tension. Like we don't. We don't, you know, man's theology tries to explain, have an answer for every single thing. It's impossible for us to have an answer for every single thing because God's ways are past finding out. That's refreshing. So he's given us enough where we understand him. He's given us enough where we can respond to him in faith. He's given us enough where we can trust him and rely upon him. But the idea that we can have a strong explainable answer for every difficult situation is simply, um, you know, like remember Job. Job had a very difficult, painful circumstance, and God's rebuke at him in the end is was very simple. Where were you when I created? <laughs> Where were you? And that kind of settled it that God's in a different category than you and me. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate your answer. You're welcome. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 303-690-3000 is the number, 303-690-3000. You could see how careful we need to be with the Bible because we can stumble a brother and, and, bring, and bring about an unsettling in their hearts. And the last time this topic came up, I was hosting the Gino show on Care KS, and the, there was an all-out attack against me. Um, and I'm, I'm not arguing. I don't need to argue. I don't need to prove my point. I don't need to develop a name for myself. Uh, you guys that aren't listening, you know, listening outside of Colorado around the country um, aren't familiar with the local radio here in Denver. But um, part of my ministry isn't to destroy a brother or part of my ministry isn't to prove my point. 
I just read what the Bible says and let the Bible say what it says. Well, I disagree with you, Ed. Okay. It's, um, I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. And I'm more okay with it now, 20 years into ministry, than I was in the beginning. Uh, and I'm confident that I serve a God that knows all things. He knows the beginning from the end. I'm confident that I serve a God who is able to take all things and work them together for my good. I'm confident in a God that can call the end from the beginning. I'm confident in a God who declares himself, I say something and then I make it come to pass. I'm, I'm confident and I, I'm, I, I am only plumbing the depths and I don't feel like I've got that, you know, that far. I've gone that far to plumb the depths of the goodness of God and his graciousness in my life. 303-690-3000. Whoa, it's Bianca. We haven't had her in a while. <clears throat> Bianca, welcome to the program. Yes, uh, I just have a prayer request for the Lord to give me endurance for the steps of faith that I have been taking because the enemy's been attacking me, and I'm certainly not going to pay any attention to him. And I just want to please the Lord and and not worry about these spiritual attacks. Okay, let's pray. F- Father, you know my sister's heart and where she is in, in her relationship with you, Lord, and and I pray that you would bless her and encourage her and strengthen her uh, for all that she's facing, God, all that she is going. And I just think of the um, uh, the, the beauty of um, hupomone, that supernatural ability to bear up under the weight and under the pressure of everything that she's facing. And and of course, Lord, you know what you've allowed into our life. You know what you what what you want to accomplish in her life. And you know what you're doing as she waits on you and has been waiting on you for quite some time. And it's not always been an easy road for her to wait upon you, but she serves as a example of what it means to persevere, even if she's praying for more perseverance. Um, and so I pray you to strengthen her and encourage her and bless her, Lord, and help her to take these steps of, like she does, she just wants to, she wants to be covered in prayer. Um, she wants to, to be in the community of believers. And so I pray you would honor that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much. Okay, Bianca, Bye. bye-bye. Yeah, you know, we've watched Bianca for many years now, and, and many of you, uh, even though you haven't watched her, you have uh, heard her call that um, even as she prays for, um, when she prays for endurance, she's actually been a uh, an example of endurance, and uh, may she continue to encourage us. 303-690-3000, Dwight from Aurora, Colorado. Dwight, welcome to the program. Hey, Dwight. All right. This, Dwight's question was, why does God allow Satan to come back after the thousand years? Because those that have been living in the thousand years have never faced the temptation of the devil. 
and they have been under a forced rule of righteousness under the millennial period, and they will need to make a decision faced with a real, not a fake, but a real demonic temptation. 303-690-3000. Christopher in Thornton, Colorado, welcome to the program. Yes, uh, Pastor Ed, thank you for taking my phone call. You're welcome. Um, my question is a little hard for me to ask, but I um, am... I'll start with um, Ken Ham, um, his thoughts on the authority of Scripture okay. and, and the young earth All right. have kind of influenced me as far as, um, I, I don't know if that's necessarily um, Christian, um, um, I'm, I'm forgetting the word that I had said to them, but, but um, sound fundamentalism. Okay. But... The question is regarding how, uh, you know, yes, I, you know, taking, like, you know, he made good arguments as far as young earth, but, you know, taking everything in the Bible, you know, the Bible's written in di- different literary styles and, and, you know, can't be taken at face value for, or, or you know, just on the, on the words themselves due to different literary styles. Okay, so it sounds like there's a, a question on your mind about do we take the Bible literally? I'm, I'm going to reduce your question. I'm going to reduce, and yeah, then we'll talk yeah. about it, but I'm going to reduce what I'm listening to you and say, when I open the Bible, do I read it in a literal way or not? So let's start with a yes or no question. I would come from a school of thought and a school of theology that every word of every page of every book of the Bible should be taken literally. If we choose not to take the Bible literally, then then we're we're choosing a mechanism where I can dismiss some things because I just choose not to take them literally. Does that make sense? Well, what does that I well, guess mean? What's the definition of literally mean? Then it says know, what it says in, in reference, and it to means like what it means. That's what literal would be. So, but but that that's half of the answer. Um, yeah. If let, let's let's pause there for a second and say, if we weren't to take the Bible literally, what is another option? We read everything literally, wouldn't we? That's our. I, it's not, did you did you click off? No. Okay. No, good. I'm, I'm so I would say anything we we put into our hands, we would take literally and at face value, wouldn't we? Right, so I'm. I click on Denver Post. There's an article about taxing districts. I read the words and I take the meaning of the words in their historical grammatical context, and I take them literally. Right? Yes, in that context. Okay, so so I I, I wanted to build a little bit of tension because I'm going to let the tension out now. We would never be able to understand a portion of scripture as figurative, poetic allegorical, uh, apocalyptic, if we didn't take it literal, right? We would never be able to say, that's obviously an allegorical, that's a simile, that's a metaphor, unless we let the text say what it says, right? Even on the earlier call, we wouldn't be able to, to declare that statement about God or from God or toward God is an anthropomorphism unless we let the words say what they said. Yes. 
So I think if we take any other approach than a literal approach to the Bible, we're going to get into big trouble because how can we ever interpret anything unless we take it literally? So let me um, chew on that during the break. It's only like a minute and a half because I'm seeing that we're coming up on a break and then we can come back and talk about it a little bit. Thank you. Uh, You're listening to Calvary Live. My name is Ed Taylor. We're taking um, some great calls today. 303-690-3000. We're right in the middle of a, uh, really not at the beginning of a discussion on biblical literalism. And and I'd love to uh, see that last line filled up. So give me a call, 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000. we got about a minute, minute and a half, and we'll be right back on today's edition of Calvary Live. Shout out to everyone on Hope FM, Truth FM, on our app, and on the low-power FM stations around the country. This is Calvary Live from Grace FM, Colorado. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, welcome back. I can't believe that's one of the things about this show that is very hard to conceive and how fast it goes. It goes by so fast. I also appreciate how uh, we've adopted the the um, the way to put the show on the air is no breaks, like no breaks every quarter. We have the half hour break uh, to stretch, maybe get water, uh, but you know you're not getting right into a question. And then there's a commercial. Uh, we're a non-commercial station anyway, so um, I like that. Let's just talk all the way straight through. So we had a call right before the break, uh, which is uh, from Thornton, Colorado. Christopher is with us. Are you back with us, Christopher? Yes. Okay, so I laid out the foundation for the answer that I believe, like any piece of literature, we have to take it literally in order to understand the author's intent. So with that in mind, the issue that you mentioned with, uh, with creation, the, the, issue, the issue you might mention with a, another teacher, is not a matter of whether we take something literal. It actually becomes interpretative discussion and disagreement not whether I think that we, if we don't agree, like, so for example, if you and I are taking the Bible and you don't agree at take, to take it literally, and I think we need to take, we'll never agree on anything because the found we don't have the same foundation. So we really can't even have a conversation about it. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I agree that when you start <clears throat> Tampering and, and formulating your your own uh, views on, on that, then then it becomes a, a challenge. Um, that you know, then it becomes dangerous and and whatnot. As far as, uh, but you know, I, I guess that you know, going with your interpretation, like you know, what you were saying about the interpretation part, that. Um, I, I've always felt like scripture to some degree is kind of like a diamond where, you know, you look at one scripture and then it can kind of mean different, uh, it can hit people in a different way, you know, uh, you know, it's the same words. Right. Um, and, and so in, in that regards, it's, it's interpreted 
differently, but it's not necessarily wrong or, or, or whatnot. Well, let, let's make sure that we don't make a categorical, logical fallacy. So I would agree with you that a person can read the same paragraph in the Bible and come away with it with something different. But let's make sure our categories, one, some, one way would be acceptable, another way would be unacceptable. For example, let, so let me lay out the categories for you. Um, to, to, to you, when, we, when you and I open the Bible, number one, we're going to make observations. Your observations of the text and my observations of the text may be different. For example, I may see five things, you may see ten things, and all ten of them are different than my five. You'll be able to make many different observations, same text, same words, like we could be sitting in the same room. Um, I've done this in classroom settings where we, we can make different uh, observations. That's one category. Secondly, you're correct. You and I, we could come to the same text, read it, uh, even have the same observations, but walk away with two different interpretations. And that's where the danger lies because the Bible has, God has one intention for every word that he has reserved for us. And what we might view as, uh, or what we, what I just used the word intention, the biblical word for that is interpretation. There is one correct interpretation of God's one correct intention. So that if you and I walked away from the same text with two different interpretations, there are only a few options available to us. Number one, I'm wrong and you're right. Number two, you're right, or you're wrong, and I'm right. I think I said that right. Number one, I'm right, you're wrong. Number two, you're right, I'm wrong. Number three, we're both wrong. But you can't be, you and I can't walk away with two different interpretations uh, and and think that that's okay. We We can have different observations, and even if we had different interpretations, there's only one correct one, and we may or may not have it. And then what I think you're describing, and you can help me, correct me if I'm wrong, but your diamond illustration, what I think you're describing is the different applications that people walk away with the Bible from. Yeah. And you know that's demonstrated uh, right now. We're on the radio, and, and I'm, I share something from God's Word, and it's applied differently. For example... One text would be applied to a married person that would be different applied, like a like passage that says, uh, lo- husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, a husband can immediately put that into practice, whereas a single man has to wait to put that in practice, but the truth still stands. Does that make sense? Yeah. And And I think that the foundation of everything that we shared right now has to be a literal reading of the scriptures otherwise we would uh, uh, anything less than a literal reading would completely twist the intention of the author interesting yes uh, yeah and so the discussions on creation um the reason why i would lean toward 
uh, someone like Ken Ham is because it his conclusions come from a simple, literal understanding of the scriptures. Um, the disagreement on that is not that the Bible doesn't have one specific intention. It's that people have different interpretations of what God intended to say. And then you, you know, that's where you, the interpretive process is making sure that we understand the grammar of the words being used, the Hebrew or the Greek. We understand the audience that was delivered and, you know, what, what's the historical background is. It's called the grammatical historical context of, of, you know, context is king. I just shared that with the church not too long ago. Context for something said is king because if we divorce words from context, then too we have a harder time understanding what was intended. And we're what we want is what is intended. What's the intention of the scriptures? Why did God have it written down that way? Yes. Okay. And that's where we find out, no, that, that text is a figure of speech. That text is hyperbole. Uh, that text is a metaphor. Um, but we would never be able to determine it's metaphoric if, like, for example, when it says um, these four, three friends took their friend up on the, on the um, roof and let him down before Jesus. That can't mean anything more than it does. But it doesn't mean the context of roofs in Aurora, Colorado in 2020, where you got to take the shingles off and take the plywood off and then take the drywall off. And then finally, it's in the context of a first century Jewish home that's thatched and flat roofed and had stairs up to it because that was often the place that was the patio of the day. So, you know, you've got to interpret it within its context. I understand. And that's the biggest problem I can tell you with us is that we automatically read the Bible with Western eyes in our own context. And that's where we make a mistake. Yeah, I agree. Uh, well, I appreciate your time and in, in, uh, in answering my question. That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it because I'm sure many people have asked the same thing. <clears throat> Thanks for calling. Well, uh, thank you. All right, bye bye. Good night. Three zero three six nine zero three thousand. That's the beauty of the show, you know. Uh, somebody has something on their mind, and it's on the mind of another thousand people. <laughs> I love that. It's amazing, and I love that topic because w- if we don't parse out the categories then it's easy to make categorical fallacies is what they're called. And, and so, yes, you could read the Bible like our brother said, uh, like Christopher said, like a diamond, and it has many facets. But the diamond is the diamond. You have to agree it's a diamond. You've got to agree that it's that diamond and that the light is coming through. And even though the light is coming through, it's coming through one thing. Uh, and that's the the diamond would be represented the substance of the facts. And anything you read, it doesn't matter what you read, you have to take it literally. Otherwise, you would never be able to understand the author's intent. All right, we're going to go over to Brian in Denver. Brian, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Yeah, question for you. So I, actually, two quick questions. Okay. Uh, the first one, you were talking about the millennial reign. Yes. And I know it's a thousand years. Yes. So people that are obviously born during that time, they're not going to live a thousand years. So people that are born and die during that time that won't have the temptation of Satan, would they automatically go to be, go to heaven, become Christians? I know they say, you know, Satan gets released to test people's hearts, but 
those people during that time will not be tested early on. No, I, I would suggest to you that they are going to live the entirety of the millennial reign. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. So live a thousand years. Yes, and whatever portion that is. Remember, when you roll back, the, roll back the clocks closer to the Garden of Eden, you had people living hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years with no problem. Even people, like I said, I know people are going to survive the tribulation and they're going to go into the millennial reign. Yeah, it's so. going to be a different existence in some sort. I I, I don't know. We, we aren't told exactly how the atmosphere is going to be and what that's going to, but it's going to be a different existence than what you and I are experiencing now. So yeah, even those that, that what would be considered the tribulation saints. Okay. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, they're making it through in their 70 and they're going in the millennial reign, they're not going to live. Know, a thousand more years. On top well, of I that. don't. I don't think. I, I don't think that the the um, the reality of the millennial reign is going to have any bearing on their on their uh, lifespan um, in terms of in terms of how they relate to God. They're going to be related to God, and um, as God fulfills His prophecies to Israel, and even His prophecies made to Jesus Christ, so the the fullness of you know, that uh, as I'm thinking through, you know, talking out loud, um, the, there's a promise of God in Daniel chapter 7 that speaks of man living in peace with Jesus as their ruler and that the curse would be lifted in Romans chapter 8. Um, and there'll be a restoration of peace and prosperity, uh, freed from disease, according to Ezekiel 34. So um, it's going to be a dynamically beautiful time that death isn't mentioned during the millennial period. So they would make it through the entire millennial reign, and then that's when they would have the same thing that we have as yes. far as temptation. Okay. Yes, although your question does, I'm going to have to think about this for a little bit, because your question does pose an interesting distinction, and that is the tribulation saints would have already experienced that temptation. Yeah. However, Mike, out of the top of my head, without studying this, I would say, that the millennial period then becomes the reward for them. And when the devil's released at the end, it's going to have no bearing on them because they've already resisted. Okay. That would be my yeah. thought, talking out loud. Sure. Uh, the other question I have is real quick. What would be the easiest Bible to get that would be the I guess, easiest to understand? The easiest Bible that I'm recommending today is called the New Living Translation. It's put out by Tyndale, uh, and that, that would be for an adult. You know, there's some children versions yeah. that might be easier than that, that may not be so literal, but New Living Translation is more is a, is a literal translation, but it is very modern-day English. As a matter of fact, it's so relatable that I've begun to use it as a test on our Wednesday night Bible study. And for Christmas this year, for our Christmas services, I'm using the New Living Translation for the sake of preaching the gospel. Um, so that's what I'm recommending, the NLT. So if I search that, all of them would be the same. It doesn't really matter where I get it from. No, I got. Um, I? I don't know if we, uh, if you come to Calvary, our bookstore's open. I'm not sure which ones we have, okay. but I got mine on Amazon <laughs> before the bookstore opened, but, um, there's different variations. If you're a newer believer, um, mm -hmm. I would recommend that you get a, um, New Living Translation with the Life Application Study Bible version. Life okay. Application. That comes in a lot of different versions, 
But if, you know, starting out, I would recommend the Life Application Study Bible NLT version. Okay. Okay. I'll look for that. All right. Fantastic. Okay. Thanks, Pastor. God, God bless you. Bye-bye. All right. You too. Yeah, I, I'm, I've been uh, teaching with the NLT now for many weeks on Wednesday night, and it is hard. It is hard. It has been a hard change for me. And I have, uh, I've, there's a lot of reasons why I've changed. Um, one of them was for relatability um, so that we can minimize the barriers of people not even understanding the words that I'm reading and and explaining the words just for the sake of English, let alone the Greek and the Hebrew, um, the smoother sentence structure. Um, the the thing I don't like the, about the NLT is that it only relies upon one set of manuscripts, where at least the New King James um, combines both uh, and footnotes them. Um, but the one of the biggest uh, issues is that I just have 28 years reading the same Bible. And I've memorized it that way. I've mem- I've used pretty much the same Bible for 28 years. I've only had two versions of it. Uh, I destroyed uh, the first one by using it so much. I'm on my second one, but but it's also 28 years old. So they've made revisions to the New King James since the version I use, and I see it in the people's faces every single Sunday because they're reading a newer version than I am. Um, and and another reason I did it is. I wanted to feel the weight of changes. A lot of times in church leadership, the leaders, like a person in my position, actually authors the change and delivers it to the people. Whereas I'm not often, and I've already processed it and gone through it, and I believe it's from the Lord, and we make a change. And then everyone responds to that change. Where this one is similar, but I also have to respond to the change. And here's the deal. If I didn't make the commitment to finish the book of Daniel, I would have already stopped. It's been that hard for me, this change. But I made a commitment, and the longer I go with this change, the more I'm liking it, and the more I'm changing, and the more I'm adjusting. And it does require a little bit extra work on my part. It does. And I'm adjusting to more work. And I was even looking today, spending another half hour reading and rereading the text in the New Living Translation so I could absorb the way, because it's so much smoother and different phrases are used. And I'm glad that I made the commitment because it's causing me to to not only feel what, what the folks, because our church is undergoing a lot of great changes, but we're all going through them at the same time, you know? Um, and I'm getting to feel it and I'm like, I don't want to do this. I just want out. And I'm like, no. No, I don't. I made a commitment. I'm going to stick to my commitment. And, and it's been really good. Uh, so I've been enjoying it, uh, even though it's been a growing experience for me. And, and one of the ways that you can make a change, a lasting change, is to verbalize it. And so when I tell the church, hey, I committed to do the whole book of Daniel, well, I made that commitment. Um, and I mean, there could be some good biblical reason one day that I would back out of a commitment like that. For the most part, you don't. There's, You made a commitment, let your yes be yes, your no be no. So it's good. New Living and uh, New King James, those are the two primary, but I've got other Bibles open on my computer, ESV, uh, NASB, NIV, um, 
the living uh, by the living trans uh, not the living but uh, the message translation uh, which isn't a translation like it's a paraphrase so the the other thing you need to realize is what are you reading are you reading a translation or a paraphrase or what's the purpose you know you got to understand but NLT simple 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 I we give them to new believers now and uh, I know that uh, Pastor Greg Laurie has got a new believer a new believer Bible that's in the NLT, and I'm just digging it, even though it's hard. It's super hard. 303-690-3000. Here's a text question before I get to the phone lines. This is great. As a pastor, how as a pastor do you deal with criticism, either from outside your church or inside your church? Well, let me answer that a couple different ways. Personally, sometimes I do really good, and sometimes I don't do very well. We were taught, and I hand this over to the men and women that serve alongside of me, that if you're going to be in ministry, you need to have the skin of a rhinoceros and the heart of a child. Or another way of saying that is you need to learn to have thick skin while maintaining a soft heart. And usually the opposite happens. People have super soft skin and everything bothers them and they have a hard heart. So ministry, you're not going to make it if that's you. So sometimes it gets me. Uh, most of the time, it doesn't. I can say this. Um, God gave me some perspective uh, six and a half years ago when my son suddenly died, and the drama of uh, that situation, the drama of the people surrounding that situation, learning who my friends were, and unfortunately learning who my friends were not, the pain that it endured in my family, the pain that my marriage, my kids, my wife, all of that gave me some perspective. So most of the criticism uh, that comes my way, um, you know, and I'm talking about hypercriticism. I'm talking about hypercriticalness. I'm talking about nitpicking. Uh, I don't listen to it anymore. Um, I don't receive it. Uh, I don't entertain it. I don't argue about it. Um, I just commend that person to the Lord. Um, however, if what you mean by criticism is a brother or sister in the church that I know that I have a relationship with, and they want to speak something difficult into my my life, like a reproof or rebuke, you know, the wounds of a, of a friend, um, if, if that's what is happening, then I receive them and I pray through them, um, you know, it depends on the it depends on where they come from. You know, in Proverbs twenty seven verse six, it says, "Faithful are the wounds of a friend." And so, if there's a friendship that I have, a relationship that I have that has something to speak into my life, it might sound critical, but it just might be like a hard thing to receive. Um, then um, I receive them. I receive that. I want to. I want to hear from that. But if it's somebody being hypercritical and judgmental and, you know, I got an email not too long ago, a couple pages, even from a guy I know that was just nasty and, and uh, caustic and bitter, I got no time for that. That's not from the Lord. Um, you know, it, it used to be when we got anonymous letters here at the church, we could just shred them. But now people make up fake email addresses. I was trolled on Instagram by uh, someone that, uh, that, that I found out who it was and just like, well, are you kidding me? You, you know, um, it, it's just one of those things. It's part of the, part of the, 
package of being a pastor, part of the package of being a human being. Um, but it just depends who 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 is it, and what's the motive, uh, because the Bible says the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So you know you got to be careful. Um, but I'm open to change and open to growth. Um, I think the person that brings the most constructive criticism in my life is my wife and my children. Uh, they live with me and they deal with me and they listen to me and um, they're not afraid to speak into my life. Of course, my kids are, uh, they've been that way my, our whole life. That's how we've raised them. Um, but they're adults now. So, you know, they speak to me as a peer, uh, respectfully, you know, as a dad, but also as a peer. Uh, and and then, of course, the people I serve with, um, my, used to be my parents, but they're in heaven now. And but you know the hypercriticalness nonsense. I don't accept it. I don't. I don't. I don't accept it. Um, I, I don't need to accept that. If, if you know, if it's a nasty letter, like I've, I receive a few of those, I, I do what it, um, I do with Hezekiah did. Lay the letter before the Lord, pray over it, and then see what God does. But sometimes, like Nehemiah, we get these false letters, these false accusations, and Nehemiah goes, "No, man, I'm not going to go to the plains of Ono with you." You've made these things up in your own mind. And so you really have to be in the spirit because if you're in the flesh with criticism, you'll mess it all up. And I have certainly sinned in that area before, yes, um, and not responded to criticism well or let it get to me or any of a host of other things that, um, you know, it's like, oh, Lord, I need your protection. You know, I need, I need your help. And he's faithful. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Let's see. I want to remind you, tonight is Bible study. We're here at 7 o'clock, Calvary Church. You can go to our website, calvaryco, stands for Colorado, calvaryco.church, and uh, location and everything is available there. Go to your any app store. Uh, we've got the most listens, most opens, most connection through our social media and apps than ever before in the life of our church. So keep it up. And uh, quite frankly, we've kept up our app uh, better than our website. So hopefully in January, we're launching a brand new website and um, putting that all together. But um, stuff like that's taking the backseat, unfortunately, to other things. And um, you can go to your app store, Google Play, or the Apple App Store. Just put in Ed Taylor. And my name and both of our apps should pop up there. Uh, let's see here. Uh, okay, here we go. This is a good one. We only got a couple minutes for it, but Pat's in Greeley, Colorado. Pat, welcome to the program. Hi. Uh, good, af- good afternoon, Pastor. You're welcome. Um, I mean, just afternoon. a quick thing before my question. Uh, based on your recommendation, I got the NLT. Yes. I'm having the same struggles. I'm used to seeing the wording in the King James and everything. And when I'm reading the NLT, it's not there. And I'm, it, it, I usually make my points off that wording. Yes. And when I'm teaching it, I got all confused. I get that. I do jail ministry. I figured the NLT would be a, a easier thing to understand, but I started to get all confused because. The text is totally different. It is, and I and I, I like that point which you just said too, because that was another thing that I have often made points off of an English word that I have to rethink. I have to rethink my whole communication style in order yeah. 
and, and make sure that I know the root word that's being used. But we only got a couple minutes, so you got a great question. Go ahead and shoot it off. Okay, here's the question. Uh, you, you were talking with Christopher. This is kind of a follow-up call. Yes, yes. And you had indicated literal interpretation, word yes. by word. God has one intent for every word. And I yes. understood everything you guys were talking about. Uh, you can only walk away with one meaning. That's the true meaning. Both, That's correct. Uh, both of you can be wrong. One of you could be right. Yep, for but sure. both of you can't be right. That's correct. If you have different opinions. That's correct. Now, in the scripture where Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Yes. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Yes. Taking that literally. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah, so we do take it literally, number one. And the, the literal, the, the literal we, I guess you have to be careful with your categories, remember? We, we take it, we read it literally as words that were spoken by the mouth of Jesus, that literally he said these things, literally he used these words to, as a teaching to his audience. And that's step one. Step two, what did he mean? That's the interpretation. And, and what I believe he's saying there is he's using metaphoric language to make a point. But we would never be able to say he's using metaphoric language uh, or even hyperbole to make a point unless we took him literally. So we've got to have our categories right. And okay. a lot of times we skip the literal and go, well, it's just metaphor. Well, you never come to that conclusion if you didn't take the text literally. And so we... I get it. That's, that's the point that we were making that, that I think is a great add to our discussion. You hear the music. we got to go. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for joining us today. Come on out tonight, 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 the book of Daniel, chapter 6, living right in a world that's wrong, prayer, communion, worship, the word. We'll be here, calvaryco.church. God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.